beloved, Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the last chapter of Mark, our Lord promises whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. And the Apostle Peter has written, Baptism now saves you. The Word of God also teaches that all are conceived and born sinful and are under the power of the devil until Christ claims us as his own. Therefore, depart, O evil, unclean spirit, and make room for the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We would be lost forever, unless delivered from sin, death, and everlasting condemnation. But the Father of all mercy and grace has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, who atoned for the sin of the whole world, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How are you named? Emeterio Augusto Montano received the sign of the Holy Cross both upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Last Almighty and eternal God, according to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world to the blood, yet according to your great mercy, you preserved the leading Noah and his family, eight souls in all. You drowned the hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea, yet led your people, Israel, through the water and dry ground, foreshadowing this washing of your holy baptism. Through the baptism of the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and a lavish washing away of sin. We pray that you would behold the material according to your boundless mercy and bless him with true faith by the Holy Spirit that through this saving flood all sin in him which has been inherited from Adam and which he himself has committed since would be drowned and die. Grant that he be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of the Christian church being separated from the multitude of unbelievers, and serving your name at all times with a fervent spirit and a joyful hope, so that with all believers in your promise, you would be declared worthy of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Here the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. They brought young children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord.
And Matteo Augusto Montano, do you renounce the devil? And so say, yes, I renounce it. Yes, I renounce Do you renounce all his works? If so say, yes, I renounce them. Yes, I renounce them. Do you renounce all his ways? If so say, yes, I renounce them. Yes, I renounce them. Do you believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth? Yes, I believe. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Yes, I believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? Yes, I believe. And Materio Augusto, do you desire to be baptized? Yes, I do. In material of Augusto Montana, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
love in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord.
Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The Old Testament lesson appointed for the second Sunday after Holy Trinity is written in Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the high places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness, and live, and go in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week we heard of the rich man's foolishness on earth and in hell. The rich man's miserly attitude towards Lazarus showed that he did not eat wisdom's bread or drink of wisdom's cup. And Lazarus, though physically desiring a crumb from the rich man's table, showed that he was amply fed at wisdom's table. Lazarus forsook foolishness and lived forever in bliss with God. Last week taught us that if we would be saved, then it won't be by wealth. No, it is wisdom given by the law and the prophets that shall save us. And to whom do the law and the prophets testify? They testify to Jesus, who is the wisdom of God. Jesus makes us wise. Jesus shall make us eternally happy. As Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. And so if we would be happy, let us find wisdom. Let us then, by God's grace, discuss these three points. First, what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Second, what are the characteristics of wisdom? And finally, what is the essence of wisdom? What is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? The two are obviously connected. And as you read the scriptures, you often see knowledge and wisdom conflated, that is, combined or mixed. But there is a difference. Knowledge is objective. Knowledge is facts. Knowledge is outside of you. Knowledge confronts you with something you did not know before. Now, some might object by saying that man has a natural knowledge of God in his heart. And they would be right. Man does have some knowledge of God written on his heart. But that natural knowledge is marred by original sin. That's why erring consciences, those who feel guilty when they are not actually guilty, and those who should feel guilty but don't, those kind of consciences do actually exist. Man, apart from the clear knowledge of God's word, regards things that are forbidden as both permitted and commanded. Think of idol worship, for example. And man, apart from God's clear testimony in Scripture, also thinks that things are forbidden which are actually permitted by God. Think, for example, of the 18th Amendment, called Prohibition. And the Seventh-day Adventists do the same thing when they have a godless prohibition against bacon. The knowledge we do have inside of us is darkened and marred by sin. And up to this point, we've only been talking about the knowledge of the law. Without the apostolic preaching, no one knows the saving knowledge of the gospel. St. Paul says to us, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. No one can dig into his heart and find grace. It is only by knowledge, that objective and outside of us truth, that we can know who God is and what his will is. And that is why we here put such stock in teaching and in preaching. We place great emphasis on knowledge 
so that the prophet Hosea might not condemn us with these terrifying words. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Knowledge is objective. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the effect of knowledge upon our hearts and our minds. Knowledge is objective. It is outside of us. Wisdom is subjective. It is inside of us. Wisdom is how our minds and our hearts are formed by what we learn. Wisdom is an attitude. It is a mindset. It is a worldview. And since Christ is the wisdom of God, we, formed by gospel knowledge, become wise unto salvation. We become Christ-like. That is wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom are connected. You cannot be wise without knowledge. But you can have knowledge and not be wise. We know of many examples. Think of the Unabomber. He was a mathematical prodigy. In 1967, his dissertation won the Sumner B. Myers Prize for Michigan's Best Mathematics Dissertation of the Year. His doctoral advisor called his dissertation the best that he had ever directed. And when he moved to Montana, he went to the library and he read the classics in their original languages. But because Ted had no wisdom, he ended up using his vast knowledge to hurt and to kill people. This is one example of how knowledge puffs up. And we experience this difference between knowledge and wisdom in church, too. Think of the people who sat through, and re sat through religious instruction and then abandoned the church. They still parrot verses like, judge not lest you be judged, to justify sin and to silence those who love God and hate evil. Many unbelievers argued immigration by quoting Old Testament passages about the stranger and the sojourner to stymie any real conversation. They have knowledge, but they do not possess wisdom. Knowledge, sacred or secular, can and is used against those who are wise according to the Spirit. Even the devil quotes the Bible when it suits him. So we know the difference between knowledge and wisdom. So let us meditate upon the characteristics of wisdom. What is wisdom like? Today in the Old Testament reading, we hear that wisdom has built her house and invites people in. This shows that wisdom is intimate. There's nothing more intimate than to be invited into a family's home. No one cares about you in Walmart unless you're there to buy something. And if you don't think that, well then try loitering. Your boss's primary interest is in the quality of your work. If your work isn't good, then you probably won't have a relationship with your boss anymore. But a home is different. You are invited into the personal lives of these people, and you become a part of that family's life. You see the dad, so stern and businesslike, frolicking with his children. You see the love between husband and wife. You taste the wife's hard work. You're privileged to see something that really very few people see, the inner life of that home. But with divine wisdom, it goes even further than that. Because not only are you invited 
into wisdom's house, but wisdom himself comes to dwell in you. Jesus says in John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The wisdom of God comes and he dwells in us. He makes us his home. Wisdom comes and he makes us wise. We're not only invited here to wisdom's house, we're not only invited to the Lord's house to become wise and to eat and drink at his table, but in the process, our minds and our hearts become wisdom's home. It is as the children's hymn says, there is within this heart of mine a little church with sacred shrine and stained forever with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Every Christian being wise unto salvation is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a house of Christ, and a dwelling place for the Father. The closeness of the home is one image that the Bible uses to describe the intimacy of Christ and his church. Think, for example, Song of Songs, where in erotic language, the Holy Spirit describes this love between Christ and his church. And look also to Psalm 45, which says this, Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty. Because he is your Lord, worship him. There is intimacy when you encounter wisdom. But remember the words from Psalm 45. Forget your own people also and your father's house. Wisdom is intimate. Wisdom is not promiscuous. You've all heard it said, my house, my rules. You do not go into someone's house on Taco Tuesday and demand a cheeseburger. You do not go into someone's house and upend their ritual and their routine. You are the guest. You conform to house rules because you reverence and you respect their home, their family. Intimacy without respect and reverence is promiscuous. It is domestic pornography or domestic adultery. And if that's true here on earth, how much more is it true of heavenly wisdom? It is wisdom's house, so it is wisdom's rules. In the gospel, the angry master said, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Those men who had been invited knew that they could not bring the things of this earth into heaven's house, and that's why they made excuses. They wanted a cheeseburger on Taco Tuesday. But that's not how this works. Wisdom's ways are not the ways of this world. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, wisdom's house, wisdom's rules. 
Every thought must be in captivity to Christ. Your body must be in captivity to Christ. All that you are and all that you have must be in captivity to Christ. And those who refuse to put all in captivity to Christ, they are the ones who will make excuses. And they shall not live. They shall not taste and see that the Lord is good. Instead, they shall be like the damned rich man who begs at the end for a drop of water and will never, ever get it. Those who refuse Christ's captivity, those who refuse to wisdom's offer to eat and to drink and to live forever, they are scoffers. The Bible tells us what to do with scoffers. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. These are hard words, because we were taught that we should just keep people on the church membership lists. We were taught that we should just endure scoffers because there might be a chance. That's not what the Bible teaches. Look at our text today. Look at Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. St. Paul gives good advice of what to do in 1 Corinthians 5, 11, when he says... But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Here, St. Paul is not talking about flesh and blood brothers. He is talking about Christians, Christians who have fallen into these sins. Do not even eat with them, so that way they might repent. Look also to Titus 3, 10 through 11, where Paul says, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Look at the examples in the Gospels. Jesus didn't run after the rich young man and beg him to stay after he left sad. After the Jews opposed Paul's preaching, he shook his clothes and said that their blood was on their own heads. How about those whom Jesus sent out two by two? Doesn't Jesus tell them, And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. God threatens that a scoffer will not taste his supper. Don't cast pearls before swine. Don't treat wisdom's house like a brothel. Instead, be gregarious. Always speak God's word, but don't pander to the scoffers. For the church, as the Holy Spirit writes, in the Song of Solomon, is a garden enclosed, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Let not the wild boar in, so that he might uproot it. Do not let in the wild beast who would devour it. So take the warning. Those who do not die to self shall be damned. 
Those who will not submit to wisdom's rules shall go hungry and thirsty forever. But those who do die to self in Christ shall feast. Those who bring every thought in captivity to Christ shall be the ones who find life. Because isn't that what wisdom's offer is? Forsake foolishness and live. Go in the way of understanding. That's another characteristic of wisdom. Wisdom gives and wisdom forms. You see, knowledge is only useful if you know how to apply it. We all know what to do to be healthy, eat right, and exercise. But few in America put that knowledge to work. People know how to be financially independent. Don't spend more than you have and save. But the average credit card debt is $5,500 because knowledge is not applied. Wisdom is different. Wisdom gives and forms. Wisdom invites, sit down, eat and drink because you are what you eat. Knowledge is a tool, and tools are useless unless they are used. But wisdom is no tool. Wisdom gives, and it changes you, and it makes you more than what you are. The wise man becomes wiser still. The just man increases in knowledge and in understanding. And when a wise man hears wisdom, when he is rebuked, he loves it. Because that is wisdom's gift to you, to be wise, to see the world with the mind of Christ, to understand heavenly things which even the great teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, did not, to know the Father's heart toward his only begotten Son, and toward all of us who are sons of God by faith. Well, we've spoken about the difference between wisdom and knowledge. We've spoken about wisdom's characteristics. What exactly is wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. To know that I am nothing before God, that I deserve every pain of this life and eternal pain in hell, that's wisdom. To fear God's wrath when I break his commandments, that's wisdom. To know the Father who created me, sustains me, and defends me, and does all of this apart from my own merit and worthiness, that's wisdom. To know the Son who died for me, that I might be his own, live under him in his kingdom, that's wisdom. To know the Spirit who converted me, forgives me, prays for me, with groanings that are too deep for words, that's wisdom. To know God to know his benefits. And we know those benefits through the word and through the sacraments. And so if you would be happy, if you would be wise, keep coming to this house, which is built upon the pillars of the prophets and the apostles, with wisdom himself as its cornerstone. Come, eat and drink Christ by faith. Forsake the foolishness of the market, the foolishness of the bank, the foolishness of the rat race, the foolishness of the squabbles. Live, because Christ offers you here his very mind, so that you might understand heavenly things. And we trust this. We trust that we shall be made wise. For he who is the wisdom of God did a very foolish thing. He came among the ignorant and the erring to bring knowledge. 
He endured the scoffing cynic who asked, What is truth? while the truth stood before.